You all are wonderful, awesome sons and daughters of a holy, loving God, and I'm thankful um, to be loving God, loving people, and making disciples of all nations, as we'll look at today, for God's glory with you all in this season. And so if you are a guest, you are welcomed um, here. We want you uh, to be encouraged, and we are so thankful that you are here with us today. We want to get to know you and connect with you, too, as you get to know us. Also, a happy Mother's Day to all those uh, mothers here with us today. You are a blessing and a grace to us, and I want uh, and we want you to feel honored today. Um, we will have a small gift and celebration for you after the service in the lobby. So hang around for that. You know, I encourage us um, to call your mom. There may be good. There may be drama. There may be something that needs to happen. Call, honor your mom, text your mom today, um, uh, and, and, and let her feel loved in that way. If nothing else, pray for your mom. Pray for your mom today and pray for her relationship first with the Father and then hopefully with you if there's reconciliation that needs to happen. For those of us who have solid relationships with our moms, just bless, bless them today. And so uh, today, again, we're going to be, uh, I mentioned this often skipped over portion of the Gospel of John. It is part of the story as we're entering the story of the Samaritan woman in John. We've seen uh, John talk about uh, uh, being born again, as Jesus brings that up with Nicodemus, then we set into this next character. But before we get into that story, um, we're going to talk about John, 1, John 4, 1 through 3, and what it means to make disciples. And so to understand this text uh, more, we'll also we'll be learning and studying from John 4, 1 through 3, and then we'll look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I felt the Spirit kind of change a little bit of the direction of um, even what I was thinking through, um, I was hoping, I was going to teach through baptism and less on the making disciples, and I felt the Lord said, no, emphasize on this. We need to grow in this, learn in this. This is the heartbeat of the church. I grew up um, in, a, in churches that always talked about making disciples, so it became something that I heard a lot, but I felt the Spirit say that we need to hear this too. So we're going to see three uh, main points today. We're going to see one that we must be true disciples of Jesus to make disciples. We must be able to sing that song, when I think about the Lord and mean it. We must know him. We must love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. Two, our second point. So one, we must be true disciples of Jesus to make disciples. Two, we must be true disciples who make disciples. And then three, that we are commanded to go make disciples who make disciples. You see the pattern? In 2 Timothy, Paul says, I entrust these things into faithful men who will teach others also. So Paul says, me, Paul, I entrust these things into um, faithful men. So he's talking to Timothy, who will then, um, he says, I entrust these things um, to faithful men who will teach others also. So you see four generations from Paul, Timothy, faithful men who will teach others also. That's the pattern of discipleship, that we would entrust these things. What is these things? The gospel, the truth of God's word. And so to summarize, we will learn that Jesus made disciples who make disciples, so we must too. And so it's our human nature to follow somebody. We will either follow a good leader or a bad leader. Um, history shows us this. We'll follow a good idea or a bad idea. Even if you think um, that you're not following someone or learning from when you're actually deceived. We're all following someone or something. 
You see, everyone is following or being discipled into the kingdom of God. And so um, it, it, or they're either being discipled into the kingdom of God or you're, being, uh, you're following the world led by Satan and his demons, and then you are following Satan's kingdom. It's our human nature, uh, again, whether it's good or bad, to follow. Has there been someone that you follow? Uh, who, who is that person? Just think, who do you actually follow? Who do you care about what they say? Who's that person that you love to hear from? Who's the person that you um, just love to learn from? Maybe it's a musician, an athlete, a famous thinker, a teacher, a politician, maybe now a famous YouTuber, a famous Instagram influencer, something like that. Again, who's that person that you follow? Who's that person that you are learning from or following from day to day? You see, the truth is that we are all following something or someone or some ideology. Humans were created to worship. And our hearts are these little idol factories that love to worship people, things, and ideas more than our holy God. You see, the truth is that we are all followers or learners of something. We're all disciples of someone. In other words, again, we are all learning or following someone. So who are you a learner of or who are you a disciple of? Let's read our text in John 4, 1 through 3. And here we will see, um, again, this idea of what Jesus did and how he did that. So, again, we just looked at the first three wonderful chapters of, God, uh, of John. He talked about loving the world. We learn about Nicodemus and being born again. And then we get to this story now, going to be of the Samaritan woman. We're going to pause at verse 3. Again, on these verses that often get forgotten, it says, Now when Jesus learned, in verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees has he- had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed from, again from Galilee. That's it. That's what we're going to look at today. Um, and again, today we're going to look at John 4, 1 through 3, and there are a lot of parts in Scripture like this that we uh, may have the temptation to just glaze over um, because um, it's just like one of those things about region or setting or like what's actually happening. Again, today we will learn from John 4, 1 through 3 that we must be true disciples of Jesus to make disciples. Two, that we must be true disciples who make disciples. And three, that we are commanded to go make disciples who make disciples. So to summarize, um, we're going we're gonna to learn and worship that Jesus made disciples who make disciples, so we must too. And so our first point today teaches that we must be true disciples of Jesus to make disciples. Look at John 4, 1 through 3 again. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus, kind of a weird, um, the way John writes that, he says Jesus, uh, uh, in our ears, maybe an unnatural way, um, but he's making the point that Jesus was what? Making and baptizing or immersing more disciples than John. And then it's a caveat that Jesus actually didn't baptize. He did it. The, The disciples baptized under his authority, and then it says he left to Judea and departed again from Galilee. So what do we see here? The, the word for making disciples is different from the word we see in Matthew, but it's the same idea. Some translations say he was winning more disciples or he was gaining more disciples, but it's this action verb that he was making and then baptizing. Yes, he was putting them 
through the disciples were baptizing them in the water. But what did baptism mean? We'll talk more about it when we look at uh, Matthew in a little bit. But he was actually, they were being immersed in who Jesus was. And they would, again, be baptized and they would make this testament, this testimony that they were true believers. And so we, we see here that Jesus did not ask us to do something that he did not do himself. He even tells us to carry our own cross. Now, we, we know this doesn't mean we can save ourselves. That's not what he's saying. Rather, once you are saved and know God, you must imitate Jesus and follow Jesus. Imagine how Jesus made disciples. I mean, just think about that. How did he actually, what did he do? I mean, just think for a second and imagine how Jesus made disciples. What did he say to them? What did he actually do? How much time did he spend with people? How did he pray uh, for his ministry and for other people? You see, when, when, when we love Jesus, when we, um, like we just saying, when we think about the Lord and we are, in a sense, obsessed with who he is, we love his example and we want to follow him. And, and, and we need uh, uh, to, to be these ones who, who truly love God, like we're saying, to truly think about the Lord, to truly, you know, in a sense, be obsessed with God, the true God of the Bible. And if we do that, we can actually make disciples. We, you must love God to make disciples. And Jesus is our ultimate example. Again, God's word clearly teaches us how to be a disciple and how to make disciples. A great commandment. This ultimate commandment that Jesus taught is our first phrase in our mission statement here as a church because it's one of the most important that we need to be people who slow down, breathe, think about the Lord, and, and love God. Actually love God. This is what it means to be a true disciple, to be someone who loves God, who loves his gospel story. This story where God created and made everything good with a plan and he knew that we would try to be God ourselves or try to be smarter or bigger than God in his plan. To bring about, uh, um, we, we think that we're smarter than God in his plan of bringing about his kingdom. And, and, and we think that our plans can thwart God's plans, but God has this designed this beautifully complex plan where our ancestors, Adam and Eve, would sin, and then that sin would be passed on to us. That in a sense, this sin is the thing that makes us humans recognizable to each other as humans. We all look different, we act different, but we have sin in common. And us as these fallen humans who are broken and slaves to this sin, we needed a redeemer. We needed Jesus, this deliverer, this rescuer who would be the one who would come and save us from sin and death to give us new life as new creations in him who are like we learned a few weeks ago who are born again spiritually because Jesus who was God became man born of a virgin and lived this perfect life and was murdered on the cross taking on the anger um, of God on himself as he became sin so that he um, this one who is just and righteous then became sin and allowed us to be righteous in him, because of him, y'all, we can be holy because he is holy, the Bible says. Jesus as the God-man, he lived, he died, he resurrected, and then he ascended so that first God the Father would be glorified. And then us as these sinful humans 
we could actually be regenerated, restored, rescued, or saved, or have this true eternal life, which John talks about by knowing Jesus as we get the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we get to wait for the hope of Christ's awesome, glorious return with all the pain and struggles and things that we go on. We will have bodily, a bodily resurrection. We will come and reign with him perfectly in glory as his children. One day, guys, with no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering as we're actually going to get to live with him in new bodies. We will live in, heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, this gospel story is a story we should know and we should love, and it should affect all the aspects of our lives, and it breeds a true, deep love to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus told us what a disciple was, and he told us how to make disciples. And in living out and understanding, like we looked last week, of our ultimate mission, which is our mission statement here, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples of all nations for God's glory, we have a clear mission as to who we are to follow in following our triune God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in our mission, it is clear, and we forget this part sometimes, that we are to make disciples of other people. And so as today, as we look at God's word in John 4, 1 through 3, Again, we're going to worship and learn what it means to be a follower or a learner or a disciple of Jesus. They're all the same idea. And being a disciple is following God and living life with people and teaching and learning about how to just love God and love people. What? To be true disciples that make disciples. All that, I think, is a description of what it means to make a disciple biblically. There were disciples in the Bible that says that left so because what does the word disciple mean at the, at the root? It's just a learner. There was a student. There was pupils of Jesus in John 6. We'll get there here soon. That, that left. They just leave. And the Bible calls them disciples. That means they weren't real disciples. Like the demons that believe in James, they weren't real believers. But God's word clearly teaches us how to be a disciple and how to make disciples. And in our text today, we see Jesus made disciples, and he baptized or immersed people in his gospel, as we must do as well. And so, again, it starts with the love of God just living in us. And then this desire to share his story, the gospel, will then bleed through us. And it will be welling up inside us, and we will we'll have to be able to, 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 we must have this love that wants to share this story. And so before we get into our main text, I want to share some other places in the Bible that show what it means to be a follower or a disciple or a learner. And I want you uh, to mainly listen and hear this language of what a true disciple or what one who truly loves God sounds like or acts like. You see, because true disciples of Jesus or ones who truly love God enter into this thing called discipleship. And so what is discipleship? Learnership, we could say, studentship, followership, okay? It is connected to the process of being a disciple or one who is being sanctified or made holy. Uh, another meaning is that we're growing in learning of Jesus. A disciple is simply a learner or a student of God. So being, in a, being a disciple or being in the process of discipleship, that can be synonymous. Being, again, being a disciple or discipleship in its most simple form means this process of learning how to love God and love people more. And we never stop. And you see, the church is the vehicle that facilitates disciples and discipleship. 
And the church of God, again, is, it's not separate from her disciples or from this process called discipleship. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we fight because we have so many distractions that we just want to be disciples out there. But God's word says, no, that discipleship and being a disciple is connected to a body. Being a disciple is who you are in Christ, of being a true learner or a true student of God. And the church should be guiding you in this process of being a disciple or being in discipleship or literally just being that learner of Christ. And so are there different ways that people see discipleship or being a disciple? And people have made all other things of what it means to be a disciple. But again, being a disciple is simply this process of discipleship or literally being a learner of Christ. So from the youngest to the oldest, we enter this process once you're a Christian, you are a disciple, and you are being made a disciple, and you enter this process of making disciples. This is what the word, again, meant in the original language, to be a student, a learner, a pupil, a teacher, discipleship, and making disciples. Hear me, it's not a program. It's not just having coffee with someone or doing a Bible study or going to disciple group or going to even coming to church. It's not those things, although those things can enhance your discipleship. It's so much more. Those things can help, but discipleship is a lifestyle. Being a disciple is a lifestyle. It's holistic. It involves every part of your life. It's this holistic process of being or, or this, think of, listen to this, a lifetime process of growth forever. You're not going to get a discipleship 401 and 501 and be a master's student. No, you're always growing being a disciple or entering into discipleship, it affects every part of your life, every single part. It's what it means to be a Christian or a lover of God and a lover of people. It is essential for us to understand and live out our ultimate mission like we talked last week. This idea of really loving God, loving people, making disciples of all nations for God's glory, for that statement to mean something to you, you have to start with understanding what it means to be a disciple first. To be one who was loved by God and graced by God. To even be a disciple. So let's look at a few other texts. Let's look at Luke 14. And I don't want us to get confused as we read these next two uh, sections. And to think that you can earn your salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We can't. But the, the, this, these next sections teach us what, how, God, how God lovers think. And then, again, earning salvation is a satanic way of thinking. God is the one who saves you. God, the Bible says, initiates the ability for us to be saved. He opens your mind. We are to respond to God, yes, but don't ever think that you have saved yourself. Your discipleship is all out of whack if that's the case. God is not opposed to effort. He wants us to work. He made work. He says hustle. He says don't be a lazy ant. He wants us to work. He wants us to rest too, right? He made the Sabbath. He's not opposed to earning in regard to salvation. The Bible says he first loved us. But when you have been loved by God, when you have been graced by God, when you understand the mercy of God, that he's taken away his wrath, then we can enter into this way of thinking like a true disciple. So let's look at these texts and, and understand again what it means to be a disciple. Many people... Guys, our so-called disciples, they're fake believers. They think they're disciples, just like those in John 6 and other parts of the Bible that were like, yes, Jesus will say, he says, many, many, back, uh, cast out demons. 
in my name. That's, that's crazy stuff. They did exorcisms in Jesus' name. Jesus will say what? I never knew you. That's crazy. Now listen to what a real disciple looks like and think, thinks like. We've been singing this song for a while. We um, have been studying this text. Jesus says, um, uh, we'll look at that one in a second. We'll look at Luke 14 first, 26 through 27. So if you want to follow with me, feel free. We're going to flip around a little bit today. Luke 14, 26 through 27, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, this, is, this sounds really hard, especially on Mother's Day, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, effort, right, and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, this is after the fact. After you've been graced by God, after you're saved, you will work for the Lord. You will do his work. That's what he's saying. We see there is suffering involved in following Jesus. It's not an earning of your salvation, but knowing there is suffering that is coming, and, and, and true a true disciple counts the cost of discipleship. That's Jesus' point in Luke 14. So after conversion from God, this is how disciples think. Later in the same section of Scripture, Jesus says the same thing. He gives some examples about counting the cost. He says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Man, you put anything above God. You can't be his disciple. That's how a disciple thinks. That's the heart of a disciple. Jesus is saying that in being a true disciple or lover of God, there is a cost to your earthly life. You can't have your cake and eat it too. There is suffering that awaits you that only he can sustain you through. There is a cost to being his child in this life, but it is worth it. He's saying in comparison to everyone and everything and all your other loves that your love for him must look like hate compared to everything else. You may be like, but am I supposed to reject my family then? How? I thought you told me to call my mom on Mother's Day. What's going on? What, what's, what's actually happening here? Maybe in some cases, yes, if your family is against God and is, is persecuting you, you may have to leave for a season. The Bible says that. Jesus says that. However, for many of us, Jesus may be actually calling you to love him in a way that you actually uh, live life in a deeper way as you engage with your family who doesn't know Jesus, who may be disciples or may not be disciples. For you to love him, it it may be um, Jesus is calling you to actually really love your family for the first time, to take that chance, maybe even on Mother's Day, to, to say that thing that you need to say to ask for forgiveness, to say, man, I'm sorry, to your brother or sister, those of us who have siblings, when you were a punk, a punk when you guys were young and you just treated them like trash. I've had to do that to my sisters. I was not a good brother sometimes. I thought I was. You don't care sometimes about the people closest to you, your brothers and sisters. You're like, whatever. Jesus, yes, Jesus, this, yes, Jesus. And then your siblings, it's hard. So there's this tension. Am I supposed to hate them? You you hate them if they are against God is what it's saying. But if you have family that will actually talk to you or is in your presence, God may be calling you to enter into that. But the point is, real disciples 
actually love people correctly. And God, the Spirit, will teach you what to do in all those situations. Now listen to these words. This is what we sing. We've been singing this song um, based on this called Follow Me. Make, another way you can say make disciples is make followers. Then Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Man, this Christianity thing, what Jesus was prophesying, what, what Christians would look like is hard. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What would it profit a man if he gains a whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man, he's going to come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Just let that soak in. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. We will suffer, yes, but in Christ's sustaining glory and love, we will and can find uh, uh, true life as disciples in Christ, like right now. This is the eternal life that John has been talking about, that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John. It's found in Jesus. Jesus says we must deny ourselves and lose our life, but that we actually find it in him. He says the Father will judge the world. It's not our judge, job to judge the world, although we like to take that job. Our job, again, is to be lovers of God. It's to be ones who make disciples. So let's look back at our text in John 4, 1 through 3, and let's slow down again and see the main purpose of this section that can often be passed over, this small little narrative of geography and, and, and logistics. We can just pass by, and, and, and it just hit me personally different this week. You see, it teaches our first point that we must be true disciples of Jesus, who, um, that, that, that we must be true disciples of Jesus. So let's look at John 4, 1 through 3 again. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, winning, gaining followers and baptizing, immersing more disciples in John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. It's like, what? Again, here we learned that we need to truly love God by understanding his gospel because the authority comes from Jesus to make disciples. We're going to see this in a bit. But we see the authority here that Jesus allowed his disciples to work under his power, and it was connected. They're like, Jesus is discipling. I think that's a beautiful little picture there, that Jesus actually made disciples himself. Obviously, right? And if he did it, we're called to do this too. So our second point rings true, that we need to be ones who make disciples. We are the ones who evangelize or make disciples. This is, this is the same idea. It's two sides of the same coin, to evangelize or to make disciples. So it's interesting to note that the words evangelism and discipleship are not even in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. The ideas are in the Bible, okay? But what we miss is that we separate those ideas. But the word evangelism this idea to gospel, literally, in the Greek, to gospelize or to gospel. We don't say it that way. We say evangelize, but it gets lost. To, to the ones who proclaim the gospel, it would make sense that that word goes with the same idea to make disciples. It's the, two side, it's the same side of, of two sides of the same coin. And so our phrase, this idea of makes, make disciples, helps us see our second point, that we must 
Again, be true disciples who make disciples. Ones who really love Jesus actually are making disciples in their life. You see, true disciples actually make disciples because they have this true love and passion as Jesus did for making disciples. And so I I want us to quickly zoom in on the most famous passage on making disciples, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and show how we live out our third point, which is that we are actually commanded. We saw Jesus' example in John, and then we are now commanded in Scripture. It's not just something we're, we're saying we, we might do, we should do. No, we are comm- third point is that we are commanded to go make disciples who actually make disciples. It's a reproducible thing. Let's look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So our text is clear that Jesus made disciples who make disciples, so we must too. You see the pattern of generational discipleship? So, so what is our point? How do we conclude this? Let's go make disciples who make disciples. Let's actually do it. Let me look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20 real quick. If you join me there, you can join with me. I'd encourage you to turn your Bible and look at this. So we kind of looked at John at a high view and saw that, wait, wait, Jesus made disciples. Okay, so let's look at this and see what he told us to do and how to make these disciples. So this is the famous Great Commission. We're going to sing this twice later in response. And so I want us to learn this. If you don't know this, there's no shame. But this is what Jesus has called you to do, to love him and love people, the great uh, commandment, and then to make disciples, a great commission. This is your purpose in life. He says in verse um, 28, 16, now the 11 disciples, Judas had betrayed him, and, um, and now we see the 11 were left. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus is telling them where to go. And when they saw him, this part always gets me, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Sounds like us, right? Some of us are excited. Some of us are doubting. These were his disciples. And it says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, just like in John, all authority, but he he elaborates, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So how do we make disciples? When it comes to making disciples, we, we see the worship and doubt. But Jesus is saying, don't, don't worry about that. All authority, all the power From the Spirit, all authority comes through me. And then he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says all authority is his, and we rest in that. And then in his authority, we're called to this famous phrase, to make disciples. Okay? And then what does he say? It starts saying what? Go. So some people have misinterpreted this, and they think that go is a command. So I got to go to this country or go to this place or do this thing. That's not what he's saying, although that is implied in some sense. The, the command is make disciples. So this word go is like, a, uh, uh, like we would say in English, like a, it's called a participle. It's like an I-N-G word, okay? Like going or as you're going, as you're living your life, okay? You don't have to go to another country to do this. As you're living your life. Make disciples. That's the command. So think of it this way. Make disciples as you're going, as you're living your life. Okay, what are you supposed to do? It says, make disciples. This is forgotten in the church too a lot of times. Of all nations, 
All kinds of people, not just people that look like you, act like you, smell like you, like the things you like. Our heart should beat for all kinds of people. That's what he's saying. People that are different. This is a good Samaritan story that is actually the great commandment story, that you love the people you're unexpected to love. So he says, go make disciples. As you're living your life, as you go, we will sing in a bit. As you go, make disciples of all nations. That's forgotten. Most people in church make disciples. That's fine. But you lose the sweetness of it if you, t- if you don't, if you take away the of all nations part. That's literally what the text says. And how many of our churches say that on their mission statement? They don't. How many believe that? I think they believe it. I think it's just forgotten, especially in America. Why? Because we're the top of the food chain. We forget how to make disciples of all nations. And that's why I feel like God has called us to Irving. There's all kinds of people, groups, and nations here in Irving to make disciples of. And God is calling us to, as you're living your life, as you're doing um, uh, your, your, your parenting, your work, you're going to the gym, you're going to McDonald's, whatever you're doing, going out to eat, you can make disciples. That's what he's calling us to do. And so the verb is to make disciples. Again, as you go, we're, we're going, okay, or as you have gone, some people translate it. There's those three participles of going, baptizing, just like Jesus did in John 4, or immersing people in the gospel, okay? We do baptize as a church. The point here is that you're actually, the, the, the word baptism was this word that meant to immerse people in the water, to make sure they were all in. So if you are not all in, if you don't under, if you're not passionate about the gospel, you're not going to make disciples. It's just, if you're faking it, there won't be disciples. It will be evident. And Jesus is saying, if you really love me, there will be this pattern of repetition where, where, where disciples will be made, where you will immerse people. And you're like, well, what does that mean? I, well, how do I immerse them? Okay, Jesus says, just in case you asked, he said, teaching, teaching them. What? So discipleship and teaching is the same idea. Teaching. We must be teachers of the word. Teaching what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, Jesus says. All, he says, and how do you do that? In the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not a fake God, though the actual God, who is three persons in one God, that we teach people to what? Observe. Literally, that word means to obey. That we love God's commandments so much that then it's contagious and people want to follow that. And we don't live in cowardice, but we live in the authority of Jesus. Because he said, I have, in case you missed the command in the beginning of make disciples, he reminds us, I have commanded you. And he says, and behold, he says, don't worry. I am with you to the end of the age. Until everything is over, I will be with you. So we're supposed to obey. And so it's clear that Jesus made disciples. He impassioned us to make disciples, and we must too. And so how do we, we will conclude on this. That guys, let's go. Let's go. That's a big phrase that people say these days. Nobody used to say, let's go, let's go. Like it's on commercials. Let's go. All the young people say, let's go. Let's go and make disciples who then make disciples. Are you truly loving people and making disciples in your life? Just be honest. Now, there's depths to discipleship. We don't have time to get in all that. There's all kinds of levels of discipleship. There's pastoral discipleship. There's just father and kid discipleship. There's peer discipleship. We'll look at some of that in a second. Discipleship comes in various ways. 
But are you, are you discipling? And then are you being discipled by other believers? Discipleship comes in various ways. It's not programmatic. God uses programs. He uses all things for discipleship. But it's more than programs. It's more than learning from a Bible study. Rather, being a disciple is living like with people. It's teaching. It's you learning about how to love God and love people to be true disciples that actually make disciples. Oftentimes, we're co-discipled. We learn from our peers. We are um, discipled oftentimes by people in less uh, spiritual maturity than us. That can happen. My kids disciple me sometimes. They teach me things that I forget or that I miss with their sweet little spirits. They call you out, and you're like, oops, my bad. Um, That should not scare you, okay? The church is a body. This does not mean that, that, and there are also, um, what we see is is the, the... the most common form of discipleship is an older relationship. Someone discipling you is older than you, spiritually more mature, and a lot of times age-wise. So if you don't have older people in your life teaching you, something's wrong. We mainly see in Scripture, again, that most of us get the strongest form of discipleship by those that are older than us. How are you going to learn from peers or people younger than you? You're not. Um, you're not you're going to be trying to adult, that's what people say these days, your whole life. Because you don't have anybody older that's pouring into you. Um, again, this should not scare you. It doesn't mean that they're better than you. It just means that they've learned a little longer than you. They will probably tell you they're not better than you. They, we will, the older people will see the sweetness of the young generations, the potential, like an athlete that can grow. So like a good coach, he may have a few more city miles. He may have some wisdom to pass on, but he can't play the game better than the athlete. Can the coach play? But no, the coach is slow and old, and he can only tell you what to do. But he can't run. He can't dunk. He can't jump anymore. They just play the game longer. And if you are older and you're like, man, what do I have to offer? I'm just older. I'm like, you know, even if you get in your 30s and you're like, man, I just have kids. I don't really know what I got to offer. I'm so busy, this thing, that thing. Everybody, everyone here is older than someone. You have something to offer to someone. So don't waste your pain, your tears, your life experience. None of us should waste our pain and tears. You have something for someone. God has a redemptive plan for it. God gave us pain and tears to make disciples. Spiritual maturity is like what John said last week, that seeing your weakness, and that's what you pass on to others, is this weakness, this desperate need of Jesus and his gospel more and more every day. It's the increasing of Christ and the decreasing of us, like John said, we looked at last two weeks. And mom and dad, your most crucial disciples are your babies. Many parents drop the ball here and outsource discipleship to a school or to a church or to activities over discipling their own kids. Your kids are part of the church, and so how are you discipling them in the church to to witness the love of God and, and to witness how to make disciples? And just because you have a family, mom or dad, that doesn't mean that you, are, that you should not be making disciples of other people. Some people can make this mistake. Again, where are you priorities? Are you losing your life? Are you finding joy? Are you loving him? Are you investing in other people? Having kids or a family is not an excuse to, to not make disciples. We make disciples in all the seasons of our life. If you are a young person or a single person, who are you discipling? You have the most time you're ever going to have if, if you plan on getting married. So you should be disciple-producing machines. Who are you investing in? Are you taking any risk in talking to people, meeting people? And then who is discipling you, young people? 
The, the, the church's responsibility and its other believers' responsibility to disciple you and to grow in this holistic discipleship. So as part of the church body, um, are you being discipled by other believers? There's no Lone Ranger believers. There's no do it by yourself or make it on your own Christians. We can't. It's not how God designed it. This, uh, being a disciple is to do it with other people so that there would be a reproducible generation after generation after generation. And just a few more words of encouragement and we'll end. You may be overwhelmed, like, man, how do I start? I don't know. I know I'm supposed to do something. What do I do? What does it look like? Again, we overcomplicate discipleship. You're just a student. You're just a learner of God for the rest of your life, and so is the, are the other ones in the church. But there are some things that we are, co- we are commanded to do this, so how do we start? Remember, Jesus said, as you're going and living your life, make disciples. So just pray to God. If you're confused, ask him, teach him, study the scriptures, pray and say, Lord, make me learn how to make disciples and how to learn from other disciples. Talk to people. Get out there. Meet people in a real and respectful way. Talk, learn, listen to people. Have conversations. Don't be scared. Listen to people. Stop talking sometimes. Hear people's story. Invite them to your house. Invite them to those coffee shops. Invite them to eat. Invite people at your work. To, to come and, and be part of your life and then bring them deeper in, into the body. And that means you invest in people. You spend time with them. Again, meals, coffee, talking about scripture, community. That's where all those, those other parts of the church come in. Being part of one of our disciple groups and investing in and eating with people and talking about the scriptures. We have to um, take a shot. We must make disciples is what the Bible tells us to. Not converts. We don't convert people. God does that. And then we're free to just, it doesn't, if the person is a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You are called to make a disciple. When I have my children and they're born, are they Christians? No, but I'm making a disciple of them. I'm teaching them the same thing that I would teach them if they were a Christian. God is the one who is, will reveal their salvation. But we make disciples in the same way. And there's nuance in what we teach a non-believer and what we teach a believer, of course, But your job is just to preach the same gospels, to preach the same consistency. So how do you do that? The last thing is you have to have courage. It takes courage. There's going to be hard things that come. You must take a chance of rejection. The good Samaritan in the the story of the great commandment did. And many believers before us have, have had courage, and it takes courage to make disciples. That's why Jesus said, all authority is on me. And it will come through me. So we must have courage when we invest in people, meeting people, talking to people, praying to God even to give you the ability to do this. It takes courage. So guys, let's go and make disciples. We learned um, that Jesus made disciples who make disciples, and so we must too. So let's go and make disciples. Let's pray. Dear Lord, There is so much to talk on this subject, and we look at your example in John, and Lord, um, I pray that we're just blown away by your example, Lord. You you had followers. Our culture is obsessed with followers these days, Lord, and you were the ultimate one (laughs) that the world should follow. And so in that, Lord, teach us how to make disciples. If there's someone here that has never really heard that concept or maybe heard it but doesn't really do it or know what that means, just free them, Lord. You said there's no condemnation. Let us just start with praying to you, talking to you, 
asking for you to teach us how to make disciples and then that we would do that with other people and take the risk and have the courage to make disciples. Lord, we love you. We need you. Encourage us now as we respond um, to your gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.